Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Olga from Speed Invest. Speed Invest is a very well-known early-stage VC firm based out of uh, Berlin and uh, focus on fintech, but also other sectors. So we're going to focus on fintech today. We're going to find out more how a VC investor with a great record code, having invested in VFOX or Open, that were also featured on this podcast and many others, thinks about investing and the business. So very curious to learn more from Olga. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get to be a VC investor? That seems to be like the rock star kind of a job these days. So how did you make that happen? <laughs> yeah, it sounds now like a rock star job and everyone is super interested in it. But at the time when I just started, I think that many classmates with who I started didn't really get it. And they were like, okay, why I'm ruining my career? I'm saying the word ruining because <laughs> everyone really in my university, and it was like top high school in economics in Moscow. Everyone wanted to get into banking and consulting. And I just, I just didn't want to. <laughs> and I started thinking and searching for a really dream job, which would be exciting for me, in which I would be passionate about. And I found out that VC exists and I was, okay, so it sounds super interesting and I want to be there. And I started my way from at that point of time, there were no funds who would be hiring analysts right after university. And I was like, okay, then I'll make my, my way there via startup. I joined a startup, which I had no, no clue how to do any diligence on business model, on, on team, on, on anything. And I just joined a startup and had a huge ambition in my mind that, of course, I raise a lot of funds, then I exit, and then I will get into VC. But of course, it didn't happen. And then the startup finished. Like, And right after kind of nine, 12 months after it, I joined a fund called Pinsight Ventures out of Moscow with offices in Moscow and, Sil- and Silicon Valley. And uh, mostly back to that time, it was six years ago, we were investing in alternative lending. The main trend back to these years, everyone was investing in peer-to-peer lending, marketplace lending, and all of this. And basically, that's how fintech started for me. So it was like VC and it was fintech. And at some point, me and my colleague at Finsight Ventures, who was investment director there, we left uh, to build a fund from scratches under one of financial groups in Russia. Then at some point, I decided to leave to join Target Global which was four years ago. I joined Target Global. I started out of Moscow and did about four or five deals in in Russia. And then I moved to Berlin and started doing all the deals in fintech across different geos, across main funds at the Target Global Early Stage and Growth Stage Fund. It was a super interesting journey for me of three and a half years. And I mostly was doing a late seed Series A and a little bit of Series B. And, and at some point, I decided to shift to one, two stages steps earlier and, and be in a rush for companies of like pre-seed and seed stage. 
And I joined Speedinvest to lead seed fintech efforts alongside Stefan Christil. And basically, that's how journey with Speedinvest started. All right. So let's explain, though, what, what is Speedinvest and what does it do? What's your focus? And uh, you mentioned Berlin, but I think you're also looking at other countries and geographies, right? And actually, uh, you mentioned in the beginning that we are based in Berlin, but it's kind of the, the whole fund started out of Vienna and Vienna is still a headquarter for us. But at the same time, we are truly pan-European. And uh, we have offices in Vienna, Munich, Berlin, Paris, and London, and also in San Francisco. We, as a fund today, we are 450 million euro under management. Investing currently out of third generation of the fund, Speed Invest 3, which was raised in 2020, 190 million early stage fund for investment, basically in early stage and predominantly pre-seed and seed. We have a few vertical teams. And from this point of view, we're quite different to any other fund. So we have vertical teams leading fintech investments, network effects and marketplaces, industry, deep tech, health, digital health and uh, subscriptions and software. And Basically, all these teams, which I just mentioned, they do, they are true specialists in the specific topics, which basically allows us to, first of all, bring the expertise on board of the companies we invest. And second, basically, we just tend to benchmark the whole market looking at specific verticals. And another point which kind of differentiates us from other funds is operational support. We have uh, Platform Plus as part of our team, which helps our companies in the portfolio to with basically operational support, with hiring, with growth uh, strategies, with the expansion to other markets. And an example, office in San Francisco helps specifically with this to enter U.S. market and be more present there. And yeah, so by today, we are, I mean, over 200 investments, <laughs> which were done across uh, for, which were done for last 10 years. So we are exactly 10 years. And uh, fintech is the area which I personally focus on. And uh, fintech is a bit specific in terms of fund overall. So apart from just pan-European investments into precedent seed, we also do invest in series A and B in fintech companies of a bit of later stage. And apart from that, you mentioned open, we invest in emerging in fintechs in emerging market. And we have like right. around 10 companies in different parts of the world, not only Europe. Which also is super interesting part of it because effectively like investing in first in developed markets in Europe, it helps us to bring basically this, let's say, benchmarks and expertise which we see from developed markets on board of the emerging markets. And what, but what's your investment thesis or what's your angle versus the others, right? Also, what is interesting is many VC funds in America, the principals or the investors are former founders, right? They are former entrepreneurs. The angle seems to be that uh, the VC firm provides this operational expertise or open stores and things like this, not just the money. In London, a lot of the firms, they have former consultants or former bankers who now decided to be VC investors. So how is it for you? And what is your competitive advantage versus the other funds, for example? Look, I personally believe that it's always it, it always should be a balance. And in our team, we are very mm. diverse. Uh, diversified by kind of backgrounds including like we have founders and ex-founders in the team we have ex-consultants ex-bankers and ex-investors and ex-operators in the team and all of them okay. basically bring unique expertise to the board and 
yeah, that's I truly believe that's the way to first of all to play and react as a team. And uh, second, uh, there are a lot of synergies in the portfolio. So, an example as a fintech can be embedded in pretty much anything. And basically, software companies in the portfolio can benefit from kind of our expertise in fintech. Or marketplace companies in the portfolio can benefit from our uh, expertise in fintech. And I mentioned already Platform Plus, which helps the companies with hiring, with growth strategies and the growth hacking, which is super important at early stage. And the last but not least, uh, a seed fund, we we don't bring just money. With seed fund, we obviously understand that kind of we can bring a lot on board specifically at early stage and kind of... All the founders should treat the fund from perspective of uh, relative value within the portfolio. So when we invest um, two million in the company, it's not two million out of two billion fund. So basically, it creates every company is important for us, and with every company and every founder, we try to be on board and being like really working for them and working with them. Then you mentioned that you invested in 200 companies, right? You've got 400 million under management now. Now this is the third fund. So let's also talk about your investors if you can. What are the investors for you? And it it was before your time, but how did you get going? Also, there are a lot of people who would like to start a first-time fund. Very difficult if you don't have a track record. But how was it if you can shed a bit of light on the, the LP side? Yeah, sure. It makes sense to get back a bit on in the history, right? So the fund started with just like, in, initially, Speed Invest started just with 10 million first 10 million fund out of Vienna, out of Austria. So it was like pretty local fund, which was obviously funded so to say locally. And when now Speed Invest 3 is 190 million fund, it's obviously it has already very diverse investor space, which includes fund founders, family offices, institutions and banks. So we openly say and that our fund is funded by EIF, by Erste Group, by US-based NEA, Great Venture Fund and super heavy on fintech. And uh, yeah, and many others, institutions and banks and, and uh, insurance companies as well. So it's like really, it's 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 very diverse mix. All right, understood, makes sense. Now you touched upon the verticals that you yeah. invest in and also the kind of examples of fintechs you invested in. But if you talk about, let's say, verticals within fintech, what do you like? Is that... B2C or B2B, you, you talked about mature markets versus mm-hmm. emerging markets as well. Life cycle is, of course, given basically by how you chose your fund and, and you have the bylaws for this. And the size is, is generally dictated by this as well. Every investment is important, yes, but you wouldn't do something too small or too big. So what is the ticket potentially mm-hmm. and uh, what types of uh, fintechs you like to invest in? Yeah, sure. For us, ticket sizes, it, it can be pre-seed, it can be seed, it can be Series A, right? So for specifically fintech, the ticket size ranges like from 300 euro to 5 million, depending on the stage. From perspective of kind of sub-verticals of fintech, first of all, we we invested in different segments already. So an example, in insurance, we are investors in Luco and Plus Sample. In payments, we are invest- investors in Primer and Curve. In crypto, we are investors in Bitpanda. And basically in counting, in banking, it's tied and so on and so forth. And obviously, first of all, divide between kind of B2C or B2B. I do believe that investors have to be, have to keep this, let's say, mental flexibility to really catch the trends without kind of 
putting ourselves into these kind of artificial frames, so to say. So we do look at both. Second, obviously, the market is changing and there are these different movements which are happening right now. And kind of two years ago, there was no that trend on kind of digital assets and everyone was still careful, right? Back to that time, we had Speed Invest back back Big Panda. But back to that time, it was something like really new to the market. But an example, in 2021, you just cannot, you just cannot ignore this anymore. So it's just, I would say, move it on to ignore crypto and digital assets. And of course, we do understand that this is just really huge macro trend, which we look after and which we pursue and explore more and more opportunities there. So this is one of them. Second, like huge pillar, which just really haven't seen too much of innovation. It's actually like everything relates to B2B enterprise and and B2B payments, enterprise solutions, B2B fintechs, and also SME fintech. This is something what is still a bit of a laggard versus consumers. And an example, we try to find the winners across all sub-verticals in it, right? Uh, third, obviously, infrastructure, which allows to have fintech as embedded part of literally everything in the world. And now it's just the beginning of this trend, right? There is more to come, and we scout for these trends and closely monitor the companies in the second. Yeah, and overall, uh, my perception of fintech is really a bit of a, I look from macro perspective, right? So every trend which is happening right now in the world can be backed by fintechs. Gig economy happened right. five years ago with Uber, Airbnb, Deliveroo, and all these business models. And it created the whole wave of fintechs which could support this and create the category in it. Now there is trend on kind of fintech becoming part of everything. And then every trend which is happening in the market, like digital assets, creators economy, all of it will bring the wave of fintechs to this to these respective categories and we are searching for basically category creators and uh, fintech winners right and this is the approach i took uh, very early on in this podcast for me fintech is everything but life sciences whether that's e-commerce or anywhere that money changes hands or it's investment it doesn't have to be just a p2p uh, lending platform or pay tech or anything like this it's so much broader and basically as i said anything yeah. One question that I'm always curious to find out, what is your what is the approach of the investors to scouting or origin deal origination? Some people say we have such a network, this is our competitive advantage, so we've got uh, plenty of inbound or we only work through warm introductions. The others also say, look, we also do proactive research or we have to do a bit of both, but in reality everybody leans to one or the other approach potentially or it depends. But what I hope to hear always is that you give a chance to a founder that is not necessarily in the network right Mm -hmm. maybe you find do some background check on them through your contacts or other portfolio companies but that's not the initial filter because otherwise you could miss out but what is your approach and philosophy into origination and talking to early stage are you Mm -hmm. looking at people where or the ideas where maybe more the founding team is important than the idea, right? So I mm-hmm. get that, that it's a personal diligence that you focus on, but still, can somebody from the mountains, whether that's in <laughs> South Germany or or in Switzerland who just came up with a great idea, can they pitch to you and get a reasonable shot at this? 
Yeah, of course, everyone can pitch to us and we are open like literally to all the sources or the, the wider is pipe which you create, the more kind of opportunities, like the more chances not to miss out on something. So basically, of course, we do look at literally everything what comes to our website. Of course, we do look at kind of at the, at the emerging companies proactively as well. We monitor which companies appear here and there. We try to find the winners be- before they actually posted that, <laughs> before they even like created the deck, so to say. How we do it, there are multiple sources of it, like the network, other investors. And of course, like we shouldn't un- underestimate the power of the tools like LinkedIn and many others. At the same time, I do, yeah, so your point on giving a chance to everyone to pitch, it's really important. And it was partially the reasoning behind our recent partnership with SoftBank Vision Fund to back Emerge program, Emerge Accelerator, which especially gives the chance not only just to someone who wants to pitch, but especially to those who have like underrepresented founders to provide them with tools, with network, with the uh, mentorship and, and of course capital and access to the other funds who teamed up with us. These are Briga, Cherry Ventures, First Minute and Kindred to basically give even more opportunities and to bring that, let's say, VC capital to even to the points where kind of it was not yet there. And additional point to it. So as FinTech team, we, apart from Europe, we look a lot at emerging markets and our team includes now team members like literally everywhere like from philippines and india to 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 europe and latam where people can find the local champions and uh, absolutely so that's a great point you raised as well there may be also people who don't know or don't feel like they could even pitch right and what the resources are and there are there is tremendous talent out there it's a great uh, segue to my next question which is basically related to partnerships. Mm-hmm. Years ago, people talk about fintech and the next uh, word that came to mind was disruption mm-hmm. or end of the banks and things like this. Last few years, a lot of people switched the tone and it's they talk about partnerships. Mm-hmm. Now, you're an investor. So what does partnership mean to you? You already mentioned that you work with, with some other incubators or accelerators. Obviously, the the conference circuit has been quite disrupted over the last 12 months. So there you could also talk to a lot of people and, and things like this. But what about also whether that's professional firms or even the incumbents? Is there anything that you are or you are willing to do together? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we, got, we are part of a, any kind of particular partnerships in terms of any specific professional firms or specific. But at the same time, as I said, so you have to just make sure that your kind of deals pipe is wide enough, right? And then you just scout it everywhere. And being early stage fund, being seed fund, we just tend to be friends with all the funds out there. And these are also LPs and institutions. These are LPs who are other funds. These are later stage funds who tend to notice that, okay, this guy is building some. So it's all about informal partnership in the end, informal relationship. And this is all out there and everyone in the team builds it and and takes care of it and also gives back. Well said. So we also talked about your investment approach in terms of a stake and things like this, but maybe just one little follow-up on this. You mentioned the size of the fund. It's Mm -hmm. the third fund. So I mean, how 
how long do you think until you exit? And maybe that's also a reality check for the founders. Is it going to be five years or even longer for me to sleep on the sofa? Yeah, first of all, important to notice that in the most of cases, we have first money into the company or at least first institutional money into the company. And from that perspective, you just cannot rush the company to the exit for the next five years. It's just also not always realistically, right? Obviously, everyone wants to get kind of in the end, the funds want to get liquidity rather faster than later. But at the same time, everyone wants to kind of have the, let's say, fund returners, not just like a quick exit um, in two years. And basically how I would treat it, as I mentioned, from tickets perspective, we, we prefer to take a lead in the company. We prefer to have a board seat and be activist investor who helps the company, especially in these early days and work together. And basically then, of course, we help them to raise the next round, which is Series A or like seed Series A, Series B and kind of alongside the journey. And and then we, again, we tend to help with everything what we can. But at the same time, realistically, obviously, the next investors step in and we tend to step out at at some point. And a time to exit, it's, it's different in every case. An example, you mentioned WeFox recently, right? I was privileged also to be part of this this journey with Target Global and with Speed and Invest entered even earlier. And basically, it's been already six years with the company and no one rushes anything because we do understand that the company is just really at the point when it's just flourishing and there is even more way to blossom. So long story short, we never rush the exit because we just optimize, of course, for the whole outcome versus Mm. speed of exit. Right. And you mentioned some of the success stories you had in terms of fintech. Maybe let's also look at it from a bigger perspective, right? For example, I I read some study from McKinsey and at the end of last summer, maybe things look bleak in terms of funding and the and the economy for who knows whether they look better or not uh, <laughs> <laughs> right now. But the point was basically that before the pandemic, the fintechs, you know, B2Cs, etc., they were chasing the scale mm-hmm. and uh, nobody really questioned the profitability as much. And now there is even more and more pressure to be profitable. I wouldn't say quicker, but to be more sustainable or be sustainable quicker. And that could also lead to a certain pressure to change business models, whether that's from B2C purely to B2BC or what have you, or basically doing different things. Mm -hmm. So then the fundraising picked up and now it's the record heights anyway. Where are we today? What do you think that uh, it's going to happen on the fintech scene, especially in Europe post-COVID? There was a really recent study that in 2021, fintech already became a record year for kind of from funding perspective. And this is obviously great also for us because many of the companies just got massive funding, including WeFox, including Bitpanda and many others, like just in 2021. And yeah, speaking about the future post, post-COVID, I tend to be an optimist. There is just really more to come. And we see how it's flourishing across different regions. An example, the kind of now there is more money coming into regions like Africa, Latin and Asia. We see how there it's just really the very kind of starting point in Europe and developed markets. It's more of a kind of pivot towards, let's say, as you called it, more sustainable business models, more to profitability because it's just more mature ecosystem already. But at the same time, overall, there are just more and more opportunities for fintechs emerging. And let's also be 
kind of realistic in a way that there are already many unicorns and many people who were instrumental for these products like TransferWise, like Klarna, like Revolut, they leave and build great companies because they have they have great expertise, they have great experience, and they have also knowledge and insights in the market to build something new. And basically that will bring us just to more funding rounds and more cool companies to, to watch. Great stuff. So before we wrap up, I have two easy questions for you. One is we're approaching summer. I already put together a Voice of Fintech summer book list. But yeah. uh, still, what would you recommend is your favorite, let's say, nonfiction book? There are a bunch of those which I, I would just strongly recommend because this is my all-time favorite. And from all-time favorite, I have on more serious side, it's hard things about hard things, which is already it's maybe kind of buzzword, buzz book, but it's just absolutely great. On fun wow, I just wanted to say before that uh, don't mention this one. This is the sixth <laughs> time that uh, this happened on this Sorry. podcast. We really need to get Ben Horowitz to talk about this, what's <laughs> exactly. happening. But anyway. And, uh, and another one for, the, for all people who work in international organizations and have in the team across the globe, it's called Culture Map by Erin Meyer. It's just really a handbook for me because I moved uh, from Russia to, to Germany and travel across the globe and also work in very international environments. It's just really a handbook for everyone. On the fun stuff, it's a book called Disrupted. Again, about like all the fun startup world. All right, that's great. Also, Erin Meyer, obviously, insert professor. She came up with the book on with the Netflix uh, founder as well on uh, no rules as well. Fantastic uh, presentation she gave uh, a while back at the Inside Alumni event I, yeah. I attended in Switzerland. Well, awesome. So, uh, great presenter as well as the author, and and of course, always good to to look back at the classics as well and to switch off uh, if you can from the online world, which is always around us. To wrap up, I'd like to just uh, hear from you. What would be the best way to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most, whether that's the founders or the investors or experts uh, in operational stuff that can help you to grow the businesses? What is the priority for you and what's the best way to reach out for both of the parties? Yeah, it's always easy to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I try to be responsive there and I'm always open to actually really all the types you just mentioned. Obviously, a shout out to to founders in Fintech with new ideas and the businesses you guys build. Always shout out to operators because it's always we always have to have this, let's say, reality check on what's actually needed. Problems out there and what to solve and how to solve. And also investors. And this is, this is just the way to collaborate all the time for us. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.